He is the author of Explorer's House, National Geographic, and the World It Made, and is a contributing editor at Smithsonian. So please join with me in welcoming Bob Poole. Thank you, Paul. And thank you all for coming out. Uh, I think since we're going to have this lecture at 7, I'll just talk from now until 7, and whenever you want to. That's okay, Paul. Okay. Uh, I'm sure that many of you have been to Arlington, and uh, some of you have friends and relatives buried there. Can, can you... Can you can I see a show of hands of people who have relatives at Arlington? Quite a few, almost, and I'm sure all of you have been there. Uh, we see Arlington today as a a place that's finished. That it's it, it, the ritual is very very uh, highly refined. Uh, the grass is clipped. Everything in it is in its place. Uh, it's very highly polished in. Uh, its physical nature and in its uh, in the ritual that takes place there, all of us are familiar with that. But of course, it wasn't always that way. And and what I tried to do in in my book was to look at the place we know today and peel back the layers of how it evolved to be the place we know as Arlington National Cemetery, because of course it it, it was many things before it was a cemetery. It was a plantation. It was a Union Army encampment. It was a refuge for thousands of freed slaves who called Arlington home during the Civil War and after the Civil War. It was a pauper's cemetery during the war. That's where you were buried if uh, there was no money to send you home. You went to Arlington, uh, often without a chaplain, uh, without a bugle playing, without a flag uh, with with nothing really to mark your passing except your burial. That's what Arlington came from. And gradually, gradually, uh, it became a, a national symbol and uh, a, a symbol of uh, reunion and healing over the years to become the place we know today as Arlington National Cemetery. Uh, one thing that is easy to forget about Arlington looking at the finished product today is that it's, it's really a reflection of our whole nation's history. Remember, the Capitol moved to Washington, D.C. in 1800. That's the first time Congress met there, the White House moved there. And at the same time, George Washington Custis began building his Arlington mansion on the hill, 1802 is when he started construction. He finished it in 1818. So as the capital, the new capital of this new country was taking shape across the river in Washington, uh, Arlington was taking shape on the other side of the river. And uh, since then, the two have evolved in parallel. Both stories have developed at the same time. 
this is uh, a, a, a winter scene at Arlington. This is taken quite a few years ago, but uh, of course at the center of Arlington Cemetery is the, the Lee family mansion, now the Robert E. Lee Memorial. And you can see the Kennedy tomb in the foreground here. Arlington Today, and Mary Custis Lee, who inherited the Arlington estate from her father, George Washington Custis, upon his death in 1857. Uh, it was her home. She'd grown up there. She married Robert E. Lee there, and they lived there for, for many years before the war broke out. This portrait is from 1830. And I, maybe it's a subject for research for someone. I don't know the story behind the parrot. I don't know if it's a real parrot or a stuffed parrot. Maybe somebody could do some research at the Virginia Historical Society and, and answer that question. But the Lees were very happy at Arlington. Uh, Robert E. Lee uh, came home on leave from the Army to help... Uh, rebuild the place. It had fallen into, uh, I wouldn't say disrepair, but, but it, it had been neglected in Custis's latter years. So uh, Lee took off from the Army. He came home. Uh, he, he tried to put the estate in shape. And then, of course, uh, when war came in 1861, Lee uh, came to Richmond. He resigned his commission in the uh, Union Army and it wasn't long after that that the Army, the U.S. Army, took possession of Arlington. This is uh, when the Army took Arlington at the outset of the Civil War in 1861. The, uh, the, the Army had its headquarters in the Arlington Mansion, and you can see here that it's it's even beginning to, it's getting a little weedy around the steps. The steps are broken. There are people coming and going all day. And this is when a friend of Lee's from the regular army, uh, General uh, Irvin McDowell, who is uh, facing this way in the portrait uh, with his uh, standing sideways. He's, I think, the fifth over from the right. He was a friend of Lee's, and he had this uh, chivalrous idea at the outside of the war that uh, he would not intrude too much on the Lee family property. He set a tent up on the front lawn and put it, established his office there so that he didn't, uh, he didn't impose too much on his old friend's home. Uh, he tried, along with others at Arlington, to keep the uh, pilfering uh, of souvenirs from the mansion to a minimum, but gradually he was unable to control what happened at Arlington, and many uh, souvenirs, many artifacts disappeared during the war. There were thousands and thousands of people camped at the war, uh, at, at Arlington, during the war. The Union had no choice but to take Arlington, to seize control of Arlington at the outset of the war because of its location. Because of its height, it commanded the uh, river crossings of Washington. Uh, you, could, you could have established artillery on the hill at Arlington and hit the White House from there. So 
Lee's old friend, uh, Winfield Scott, as soon as Virginia seceded, the next day Scott had thousands of troops across the river to take Arlington and to take control of Alexandria. And the Arlington has been, uh, and the Army has been in control ever since 1861. The Department of the Army still controls the cemetery. The uh, National Park Service controls the Lee Mansion now. This is a gentleman named uh, Montgomery Meggs, who was uh, quartermaster general of the Union Army. Uh, he was an old colleague of Lee's in the regular army. Uh, he became quartermaster when uh, Joseph Johnston resigned from the Union Army and went south with Lee and others. Uh, I don't know what this means, but we'll just say okay. Sorry, pardon me. There. Oh. All right, I think we're okay now. Uh, Montgomery Meggs was an amazing character. There are many who argue that the Civil War would have gone much longer if it had not been for Lee, uh, for Meggs, uh, keeping the Union Army so well supplied with blankets, horses, railroad cars, uh, horseshoes, nails for the horseshoes, everything that the Army needed. Meggs uh, efficiently and honestly made sure they had. He was an amazing character. Uh, and he, and he, he kept the army supplied. He kept it well supplied. Another of his duties as quartermaster general was to take care of the burial of any uh, soldiers who died in the Washington area. So as the war continued, it went on much, much longer than anyone thought it would. Uh, the, uh, national, the, there were national cemeteries established early in the war in Alexandria, Virginia, and at the old soldier's home in Washington, D.C. By 1864, the bodies were piling up. The carnage was so great that there was nowhere else to put these uh, people who had served their country in the Civil War. So Meggs looked across the river. He saw Arlington. Uh, the the uh, Union Army was already in possession of the property, physical possession of the property, and he and others in his department suggested, well, we need, we need a place to bury soldiers. Let's send them to Arlington. Uh, this is a gentleman named James Parks. He was an Arlington slave, a Lee family slave. He was born at Arlington in 1834. He lived there all his life. He stayed at Arlington when uh, the Lees left. He stayed at Arlington when the Union Army came through. He began to dig in 1864 the first graves at Arlington. Uh, he stayed there after the war. He was buried at Arlington in 1929. So here's, here's one person, one slave, who saw everything happen from this one vantage point through the Civil War and after. Uh, <clears throat> this is the first military burial at Arlington in May of 1864. I was telling you that, that Meggs had uh, ordered burials at Arlington. 
before there was a national cemetery, just as a matter of necessity, he uh, began to bury soldiers at Arlington in May of 1864. The National Cemetery wasn't created until June of 64. And I say in my book, it's not the first time that an Army officer asked permission later on for what he had already done. That's what happened at Arlington. Uh, William Christman was a, uh, from a poor family in Pennsylvania. He was from a farming family. He signed up with the six, 67th Pennsylvania Infantry, not because he was opposed to slavery, not because he was particularly interested in saving the Union, but because his father had gotten in trouble with the family farm, and uh, William Christman wanted to, uh, to get some money to keep the family farm going. That's why he joined the, the Union Army. He never saw a day of battle. He never heard a shot fired in anger. Uh, like many soldiers in, the, in that war, he developed measles, and then he got peritonitis. He died in a Washington hospital, and then the next day he became the first burial at Arlington Cemetery. Uh, I mentioned Montgomery Meggs before. Uh, he had the idea for, for burying people at Arlington. Uh, he was uh, a detail-oriented guy. Uh, he was not o able to get over to Arlington on the day that they began burying William Chrisman and others. But he got there shortly after that, and he was very upset to see that Chrisman and these first uh, burials, burials of indigent soldiers at Arlington, that they had taken place in what was then called the Lower Cemetery. That was next to a contraband or slave cemetery on the outer fringes of Arlington. And the reason it was in that location was that the, the Union officers working and living in the Lee Mansion didn't want to see graves from where they were living. They found it depressing. Well, Meggs went over for an inspection of Arlington he saw that the, the, the new graves were uh, out of sight of the Lee Mansion. So uh, incensed, he went up to the top of the hill and showed the quartermaster's people where he wanted the graves. He wanted, he wanted them, in his phrase, to encircle the mansion. And these graves, these are all the graves of officers. There were 42 officers buried around Mrs. Lee's garden at Arlington. Meggs wanted them there to punish Lee and to make it impossible for the Lees to come back after the war. Uh, even though they had served together amicably in the regular army, Meggs uh, really thought that, that Lee was a traitor and deserved hanging. This is what he said about Lee and Jefferson Davis and others who had been uh, part of the Union Army, part of the War Department before. No man who ever took the oath to support the Constitution should escape without the loss of his goods and civil rights and expatriation. And so it was with this attitude, on the one hand, acting out of necessity, on the other, acting out of vengeance, that Arlington Cemetery was fashioned and began to grow. At the end of the war, uh, Meggs uh, 
and others in the union on the union side began to gather up the dead the war dead from all around Washington all the way down to Manassas uh, they they recovered the uh, the union dead as best they could they tried to provide a name they they tried to uh, provide IDs but as most of you know the the number of unknowns the percentage of unknowns in the Civil War was greater than 42 percent 42 percent and this uh, this is a mass tomb that Graves had erected at the end of Mrs. Lee's garden after the war uh, with the, the there was a huge pit dug and the, the remains of 2111 uh, soldiers were put into the pit, and this monument was made to the unknowns from the Civil War, again, in, 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 to honor the unknowns, but also to make it difficult for the Lees to come home. Uh, even though Meggs and others advertised this as a, a grave for uh, Union soldiers, almost certainly there are Confederate soldiers scattered in among the, the unknowns with all of those bones. There must be Confederates there. But this is important in the, in the evolution of Arlington because this begins the, uh, the ritual and the tradition of doing something special for the unknowns, of honoring them in some special way at Arlington for those who gave not only their lives but their identities in wartime. This is a section of uh, Arlington known as Section 1, uh, and it was formerly known as the Officer's Section. And it shows that as the war ended and the dust settled, we had a little more time to reflect about what had happened, what we had been through. And uh, officers uh, who really didn't have anything to do with Arlington, didn't, would not have wanted to be buried at Arlington during the Civil War, uh, began to be buried at Arlington under these elaborate uh, monuments, tombstones, in Section 1, the officer section of Arlington. So it became, in a relatively short time when the war ended, a, a fashionable place to be buried. Uh, you can see the sort of delicacy that, and the sort of attention that, that uh, loved ones devoted to uh, this section of the cemetery. Uh, this happens, this massive angel you just saw is uh, for a lieutenant's grave. Uh, there's a uh, brigadier general's grave next door, next door, which is about a fourth of the size. So it didn't matter as long as you were an officer and you had the money and you wanted to spend it this way. Bigger was better. Uh, it was a reflection of the time, Victorian times. Uh, there was one artillery officer who really loved his work in the Civil War, and he's the one who had a, a, a Napoleon cannon brought in as his grave marker after the war. So he's there for all eternity under the cannon, and his poor wife is too. They're there together. <laughs> This is in Richmond, as all of you know, uh, and this is from the, the Historical Society. Thank you very much. Uh, a Matthew Brady photograph of Custis Lee and General Lee 
just after the war, not long after Appomattox. Uh, General Lee, the elder Lee, was very uh, circumspect about it. But shortly after the war, he began quietly investigating what it would take to have Arlington return to the family. Uh, by now, there are thousands of, of graves there, but he's, he's interested in getting Arlington back for the family. And he, he, he corresponds with uh, lawyers in Alexandria. Uh, he goes to visit his lawyers in Alexandria. He corresponds with Custis and one of his other sons about getting Arlington back. Uh, he, he works very quietly to uh, find out what's there, to find out what it would take to get it back. Uh, his brother, Smith Lee, actually made a visit, a, a reconnaissance visit after the war to Arlington to look around and assess things and see, see uh, if Arlington could be made habitable again for the family. He reported his uh, findings to Robert E. Lee in a letter. That letter has been lost, but we have here in the, the Historical Society, we have Robert E. Lee's letter back to his brother Smith saying, you know, thanks for looking around. Uh, I would like to get Arlington back. Uh, he died in 1870 without ever really having any promise or a realistic hope of having Arlington return to the family. Uh, and yet Mary Lee, Mary Custis Lee, and uh, Custis Lee himself would continue to pursue uh, the redemption of Arlington. They wanted to get Arlington back in the post-war years. One thing that made it a little more possible was that with the Spanish-American War, when that broke out at the, at the uh, end of the 19th century, suddenly uh, uh, people who had fought for the Confederacy, officers who had fought for the Confederacy, uh, uh, volunteered to fight under the old flag again, under the Union flag. So this is another step in the direction of reunion. And the, the gentleman in this photograph is uh, Joseph Wheeler, who was a formidable uh, cavalry uh, general in the uh, Civil War, a Confederate general, uh, who uh, harassed Sherman across uh, Georgia, who, who also fought in the West and made a great name for himself. Uh, he's five foot two with his boots on, uh, but he was one of the first to, to go to President McKinley when the Spanish-American War broke out and said, I would like to serve under the old flag again. I'd like to, to serve again. I'd like to be an officer. So McKinley, who was keen for reunion, sent Wheeler with uh, Teddy Roosevelt, you see in the right of the photograph here, uh, to Cuba at the beginning of the Spanish-American War. And this gesture by Joseph Wheeler, by uh, Fitzhugh Lee, by others who had served under the Confederate flag, began to help uh, reunite the country again. That was an important step for reunion. Because this was happening, while, while uh, the, uh, the effects of the Spanish-American War gradually, step by step, the North and South 
began to repair their uh, their uh, relationships. There were still hard feelings, but the nation began to come back together again because of gestures like this one. Uh, because of the, this is at Arlington, the the mast, the main mast of the main. Uh, most of these are unknowns from the Spanish-American War around the, the uh, main memorial at Arlington. Uh, so Custis Lee, seeing this, this change of uh, attitude, this hope for reunion between North and South, took up the campaign that his father and his mother had uh, organized to get Arlington back. He went first to Congress. Uh, he didn't get anywhere with Congress. He finally went to, uh, to the courts, federal courts, and in 1882, the Supreme Court uh, heard the case regarding the Lee Mansion and uh, voted five to four to return the Lee property to the Lee family, to return Arlington to the Lee family because they ruled uh, the, the property had been seized illegally during the Civil War without just compensation. So after all of the turmoil of the Civil War, after 600,000 lives lost, this is a country where the son of Robert E. Lee can go to court and say, we'd like the, the land back. And the court said, you can have it back because it was, it was taken unfairly, it was taken unconstitutionally during the Civil War. This court, uh, this court decision was handed down in 1882. Uh, Lee, Custis Lee, signing the title over for the family to the federal government, signed for his side. The person who was signing for the uh, Union side, the federal side, was the Secretary of War at that time, Robert Todd Lincoln. So you have the sons of Robert E. Lee and Robert Todd Lincoln agreeing on something, you know there's hope for a reunion. And you see that over the years after, after the war, you see this push toward reunion taking place slowly year after year at Arlington until it becomes truly national in its scope. Uh, I include this photograph, which gives you a, a good view of the mansion, but because it, it also contains uh, in the front the uh, tabletop grave of Pierre Charles L'Enfant, who designed Washington. Uh, he was brought to Arlington in 1909 from an obscure farm where he was buried in the previous century uh, with less than $100 to his name when he died, the man who designed Washington, D.C. So the point is that it, it, as soon as Arlington... Uh, as soon as the, the feelings between North and South began to heal, Arlington became a national symbol. We began to realize it's a national symbol. And that led to gestures like this one happening, where uh, someone uh, decided to go to this old farm to bring Pierre L'Enfant back to give him the best seat at Arlington, overlooking the city he designed, as a way of rec recompense as a way to honor him as a national figure. And, and in this time, you begin to see uh, at Arlington a new national awareness that we are a nation 
that Arlington has special importance. And the uh, quartermaster's office at this time began reaching back to find people from the uh, Mexican War, from the Revolutionary War, uh, from all of the wars America had fought so that all the wars would be represented at Arlington. This is when it, it began, began to be more than just a Civil War cemetery. It began to be a national cemetery, 1909, this date. Uh, World War I uh, produced a lot of uh, casualties for all involved, and we decided to follow the example of uh, Britain and France after World War I to make a special recognition, to give special recognition for uh, one of our boys who had died in World War I. We went through an elaborate process to select an unknown from the, that war uh, to make sure that he was anonymous, that he could never be identified. And he was brought back to Arlington with great ceremony on uh, November 11th, 1921. You can see the crowd here at Arlington. This is at the Tomb of the Unknown for, the, for World War I. Uh, there are more than 100,000 people turned out for this ceremony. Uh, General uh, John Pershing, who commanded American forces in that war, is at the grave throwing in a handful of earth from France to honor the World War I unknown. So here you see a continuation of the tradition that Meg's began in Mrs. Lee's garden with the, the mass grave for unknowns. In the Civil War, it's refined, uh, it's given a higher level of ritual with World War I, and of course that tradition has continued in later wars. World War II, uh, this is uh, Audie Murphy, uh, from a sharecropper's family in Texas, the most highly decorated man in World War II. Uh, he has so many decorations, so many honors, that his tombstone isn't big enough to hold all of them. You couldn't fit them all on. Uh, this is in uh, 1958. Uh, Ike Eisenhower is at Arlington. And he is, this is a continuation of the unknown story. Uh, he is uh, presiding at ceremonies for the unknowns from World War II and from Korea. Korea happened so fast on the heels of World War II, we were in the process of selecting an unknown from World War II. That was interrupted by the Korean War. So uh, then we resumed, as soon as the Korean War was over, we resumed the selection process and brought the unknowns from World War II and Korea to Arlington at the same time in 1958. Uh, presidents, has been very important for presidents, going back to uh, Woodrow Wilson, at least, to appear at Arlington on special occasions to uh, make the gesture uh, to show that we give special honor to the unknowns and to all of those who have served the nation. JFK's funeral, 1963, was a very important moment for Arlington Cemetery. This is from the uh, bringing the president's body down from the Capitol Rotunda. Uh, that's Black Jack, the uh, riderless horse you see in the 
foreground who made himself famous that, that weekend prancing around. Uh, this is the first time we as a nation observed a president's funeral all at the same time because of television. So everyone who was alive at that time I'm sure remembers this moment. Uh, dignitaries came from all over the country, uh, from all over the world, and it, it was a great moment of ceremony at Arlington. It had profound impact at Arlington because, because of the televised proceedings, because everyone saw it. The number of visitors at Arlington went from something like 2 million a year in 1963 to 7 million a year the next year. It overwhelmed the operations at Arlington. They didn't have, they didn't have, they had to replan the walkways. They had to, to uh, come up with new ideas about hand, how to handle the crowds. They couldn't keep gravel on the walkways because people were taking it for souvenirs. So uh, it, it was a big management problem, which they ultimately solved by creating a permanent grave site for President Kennedy in 1967. Uh, it also caused a tremendous increase in the re request for burials at Arlington from 1963 to 1964. The request for burials went from 4,000 a year to 7,000 a year. Uh, the effect that had was that they had to clamp down on burial regulations. The, 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 the regulations got much tougher after the JFK funeral because they just didn't have room for all the people who wanted to go to Arlington then. So one event which had very profound, lasting impact at Arlington. And of course, because uh, JFK was at Arlington, his brother Robert went to Arlington in 1968. And as many of you remember, their brother, uh, Edward Kennedy, went there last year. So. This was a, an event that had ripple effects, not only for Arlington, but also the, the, for the, the Kennedy family. Uh, the tradition of the unknowns continued in uh, 1984. This is uh, President Reagan uh, presenting the uh, Medal of Honor to the Vietnam Unknown. Uh, what happened in this instance was that Someone started following the, uh, the, the paperwork for this unknown person who was holding the, the space for representing Vietnam unknowns at Arlington. And we thought we had a name. They thought there might be a name associated with these remains. So his family asked that the Vietnam tomb be open, the person exhumed, and indeed, it did turn out to be the individual we thought it was, Lieutenant Michael Blassie, an Air Force pilot who was shot down in Vietnam in 1972. He was exhumed. He was returned to uh, the Jefferson Barracks National Cemetery in St. Louis. And uh, that was because of DNA, advances in DNA testing. We could take a very small number of remains and provide a positive ID for this individual. So this is a case in which the, the traditions of the unknowns, honoring the unknowns, that whole uh, tradition at Arlington, was up against our democratic uh, tradition of 
honoring the individual, of making sure there's a name on the tombstone. And in this instance, it resulted in an individual being removed from the tomb. And there is no one there in the Vietnam unknown's tomb today. And there will not be. There are many people who say, many experts who say, there will not be another unknown. That tradition will end with the Korean War. Anyone who enters the service now is given a DNA test so that if there are any remains found at all, uh, there's a good chance that you will not be unknown. So we make progress. You know, we make mistakes, but we also make progress in wartime, and this is one of them. Uh, war came to Arlington September 11th, 2001, just like it did to, to New York and Pennsylvania. This is Daryl Stafford. Uh, he is a grave uh, in charge of the grave digging uh, crew at Arlington. He was standing there talking with his colleagues about the day's funerals, and he looked up, and uh, flight, American Airlines Flight 77 was coming right at him. It looked like it was going to land in Arlington Cemetery. It didn't. It crashed into the Pentagon just behind him. A week later, Darrell and his uh, comrades were burying people who had been at their desk at the Pentagon that day, 64 people uh, from that uh, that uh, tragedy ended up being buried at Arlington. So the story of Arlington continues uh, with the current wars, Afghan, Afghanistan, uh, Iraq. Uh, the people who are dying in those wars come back to Arlington. They go to a place called Section 60, which is a new section of the cemetery, the most active uh, section of the cemetery where now the last figure I checked, 588 people from the current wars are buried. And uh, it's also where people from the greatest generation, as they age out and die, many of them are going to Section 60. It's been called the saddest acre in America. Uh, it's actually four acres, but it, it, uh, it is a very powerful place. And it's one place that you see, now that we have a volunteer army, all volunteer army, there's no war tax, there's no gas rationing. You go to Section 60 each week and you see the effects of war. That's one of the few places you see the effects of war every day. You don't see it everywhere else in society, but you see it at Arlington. Uh, the traditions of the uh, unknowns, even though there are no new unknowns, the tradition of honoring the unknowns continues at Arlington. These are tomb guards uh, getting dressed for duty. They, uh, they have their barracks and they, they work literally under the tombs, under the terrace, the amphitheater terrace at Arlington. They're very meticulous about how they look, how they perform, and you can see the care that goes into getting dressed for work at the Tomb of the Unknowns. Sentinel on duty at the tomb And the story of Arlington continues. Uh, it doesn't stop with the Civil War. It doesn't stop with Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, every time uh, someone comes to Arlington for burial, there's a new tombstone, and every tombstone tells a story at Arlington Cemetery. Thank you very much.
take questions? Anyone? Uh, what is the excuse my voice? Uh, yes, sir. But uh, what is the criteria for being buried at Arlington? Uh, generally, it is if if you die on active duty, uh, if you are a career service member, or if you have a spouse buried there. Uh, there's some exceptions to that, but those are the those are the general rules. However, if you are honorably discharged, you can be buried at the columbarium which is where they, they take cremated remains, and you get, a, uh, you, you get a, uh, an honors funeral with uh, a, uh, a bugler, a rifle salute, and a folded flag. So they're gradations of funerals of Darlington, but basically it's those, ca- those categories I just named. The president can make an exception uh, with the agreement of the Secretary of the Army to have someone buried there, but that, it's very rare that that happens. I have in the back of the book, I have an appendix with the burial regulations. Uh, if the Supreme Court found in favor of the Lee family, how did it pass into the national ownership? Oh, good question. I, I skipped over this. Uh, the, uh, all the court ruled was that the, that the federal government was trespassing on the Lee family property. Uh, by this time, there's 16,000 graves there. So Custis Lee stepped forward and said, I will sell it to the federal government for $150,000, which was fair market, deemed to be the fair market value at the time. 1,100 acres, fair market value. And so that's how, that's what brought Custis Lee and Robert Todd Lincoln together when they were signing over the deed. A small footnote that, that, that I think I have this in the book, the Lees have gone through all of this to get Arlington back. They go to the Supreme Court. They work things out. The title is signed over. Lee pays the, uh, Custis Lee pays the uh, transfer tax. And I found somewhere in the, in the National Archives, you begin, to, you begin to suspect a curse of the Lees because uh, the county clerk who took the money for the transfer tax embezzled it and disappeared. <laughs> and I don't know what happened to him, but I think he was convicted. Yes, you made no mention of Robert E. Lee's widow and her feelings regarding the property. Would you care to comment on that? Yes. Everybody heard uh, Mrs. Robert E. Mary Custis Lee's feelings. Arlington was her life. She loved Arlington. Uh, she was uh, much more obsessive, uh, much more uh, distraught over the loss of Arlington than her husband, I think. She owned it, actually. He, ne- he never owned it. Uh, but she thought about it. She wrote about it. She had her friends. She had cousins writing to her about what was going on at Arlington. Uh, people knew how much she loved Arlington, and they reported to her about it. Uh, she tried to keep track of what was happening there through friends and family. And there are a couple of letters in, uh, in the collection here from Selena Gray, a Lee family slave, who knew Mrs. Lee as well as anyone and who, uh, re- who wrote very touching letters to Mrs. Lee about what was happening in Arlington and closed one of them with, by saying, I hope you get it back. 
So there's this hole for, 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 from the outset of the war, through the war, after the war, until she died. She was obsessed with getting Arlington back. She made a final trip there in 1873, the first time she'd been back since 1861. And she wrote a very touching letter about what that experience was like. It was devastating for her. And she said, uh, having seen it, having seen what has happened to it, uh, I don't think I would want to go back now. She died, and as soon as she died, within weeks, Custis Lee took up the, the battle to get Arlington back. So they kept at it. What is the uh, long-term uh, possibilities for Arlington? I assume the space is filling up. Yes, uh, long-term possibilities for Arlington. The Arlington Cemetery has a plan to get another 70 acres, uh, most of that from Fort Myer, which adjoins the uh, Arlington National Cemetery. I don't know if they'll get all 70 acres, but if they do, and if they continue to, to make a heavy use of the columbarium for cremated remains, they believe they'll be able to go for another 50 years. 2060, because they're, making, they're being very careful about how they use space. In the old days, when they weren't too concerned about space, if you were uh, qualified for burial there, you would be buried here, your spouse would be buried, ne buried next to you, your children could be buried if they were dependents, young enough to be dependents, they'd be buried next to you. Now everybody goes in the same grave, they just go deeper. So they're doing a lot of things like that to maximize the, the use of space. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'll locate uh, Arlington geographically now. Does it border uh, national, uh, Washington National Airport? The Potomac River, uh, the Pentagon, Mountain I never understood that. Yes, the, the, the Arlington Cemetery, as distinct from Arlington, Virginia, the, the city, uh, Arlington's just across the Potomac River. Uh, it's just uh, upstream from National Airport and uh, north of the Pentagon. The Pentagon is actually built on a corner of Arlington, what was the Arlington Plantation. So it, it, you, you, it goes from the Pentagon to the river, and it's now 600-plus uh, acres in extent. The, the remaining uh, property has been divided up. It, Fort Myer has some of what used to be Arlington. The Pentagon has some of it. It's, it's uh, carved up, but still pretty much intact. The heart of it's intact. I'm sorry? Does, does it border the river? Uh, yes, sir. It, uh, the George Washington Parkway comes between Arlington and the river, but once you get by GW Parkway, there it is. In there, there's a lot of marshy, and there were streams. If you ever check back, so I was wondering if they've done anything for that. 
Yes, they had to. The question is about diverting streams within Arlington. Yes, they're all uh, as controlled as they can be, and they don't bury anyone too close to the streams. But they have them boxed in pretty well. Um, was Arlington Cemetery ever segregated? A good question. Was Arlington Cemetery ever segregated? Yes, it was. Uh, uh, it was segregated by race, and it was segregated by rank uh, for many years. And it's a reflection of society. I'm not making excuses for it, but, but what you see at Arlington over time is a reflection of society at that time. Arlington was desegregated by race uh, after President Truman's orders to desegregate the armed services. As soon as he did that, Arlington became desegregated. Uh, General Pershing led the way for, if you want to call it, desegregation by rank, by, uh, by the choice of his tomb site. He wanted to be buried in a section of Arlington uh, where ordinary soldiers from his war, World War I, had been buried. And so uh, he, he made that request. He planned his own funeral. He asked for a standard issue plain tombstone. And he said that uh, he wanted to be there so that he could stand up with his men when the last trumpet was sounded. <laughs> One more question? Yes. Maybe you can solve a mystery for me. When you go into Arlington, you can go to the left or to the right. We went to the right one day and came upon a section that has men and women's names on tombstones with the simple word citizen underneath it. Could you tell us who's buried there, please? Yes. Good question. That is the, I mentioned earlier, uh, you remember William Christman, the first uh, military person buried at Arlington. That is from the lower cemetery. Uh, the people, the, the tombstones you saw, which said citizen or civilian, those are former slaves who came to Washington in their thousands during the Civil War. They lived in Washington. Many of them lived at Arlington in Freedman's Village. Uh, they died there. And when they died, that was uh, considered the place to bury them. And they gave them this, I would say, special honor People who had no rights, who weren't really citizens, at Arlington became citizens in that section of the cemetery. But you can stand in, it, in that corner of Arlington, and as far as you can see, citizen, 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 all these people who had been slaves who won their freedom in the Civil War. <laughs> 